Today's episode is sponsored by Loot Crate, the subscription box for the geek, gamer, or nerd in pretty much all of us because, let's be honest, we're, we're all kind of nerdy. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items of gamer, pop culture, licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, basically unique one-of-a-kind items that you cannot get anywhere else. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com backslash words and enter the code WORDS to save $3 on any new subscriptions. The year thus far has been pretty awesome for Loot Crate. Items from Star Wars, Voltron, just really, really fun stuff that will get your nostalgia juices flowing. This month's crate is all about covert operations. They're very secretive. They obviously don't want to let you know, but the stuff that I've seen that they've sent out before is awesome. So remember, lootcrate.com backslash words, enter the code words to save $3 off of your new subscription. So you have until the 19th before 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to sign up for this. Lootcrate.com backslash words, enter the code words, $3 off, do it up. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm enunciating this in different ways because, uh, you know, frankly, I get bored of my own interests as well. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are like, oh, wow, like you say the same exact thing over and over for every intro. And it's just, you just get into pattern. It's just hard to break that pattern because it's, uh, you know, it's comfortable. It's like a little security blanket. So I know how to start these things off appropriately. But anyways... That's not what you came here. You came here to listen to a hopefully inspiring, engaging, insert other adjective in here, conversation with a person who is involved in doing cool stuff within independent culture and more specifically within music. And that person this week is Adam Blake. He is the guitarist for H2O and he also played, uh, if I'm not mistaken, bass in Shelter. You'll be able to hear, we obviously reference that in our interview, some items out of the way in regards to things that uh, the show uh, wants to be engaging with you, the listener, on. The show is basically, it's, it's locked into a pattern and I'm really, really enjoying it and it's really fun. Some things may be changing in the near future in regards to my time commitments towards the show. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that won't be the case, but uh, there may be th- some things where stuff will need to change. Because obviously I don't do this as a full-time job. I would love for you to all of a sudden feel that you need to give me money in order to make this my full-time job. But I, I, I have no illusions about that. I understand that. But... I just wanted to give you a heads up. I feel that's my responsibility. You and me having a relationship, albeit one-sided. Some of you know me, and that's obviously awesome, but there are many of you who I've never corresponded with, and uh, I just want to be in love with you. I don't want you to be all of a sudden surprised where it's like one week, I'm like, oh, hey, the show's going to end. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't want to sound alarmist by any capacity, but uh, my time may be more shifting around to where, um, yeah, I just won't have as much of it as as I used to. But anyways... I don't mean to sound so vague, but because I just want to be honest with you, because ultimately that's what this whole thing is here about. The conversations I have with people are from a very honest and hopefully inspiring place. But anyway, so there's that. Um, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that's up in the air right now with me in a positive way. I'm just going to have to be making some larger decisions uh, in my life. And I, I'm frankly, I'm excited about that. I'm not 
I know a lot of people, whether it's like a new job opportunity or whether it's like, oh, I need to move and like all these things are really stressful to people. In certain respects, I kind of thrive off it where I'm just like, all right, if you give me the opportunity, I will be excited to do it. And so that's kind of where, uh, where I'm at in so many different respects. So anyways, I, I will be, I promise once some things shake out, I will be more open and more detail oriented because I hate it when people speak in generalities and I, that's what I'm doing to you right now. So, uh, I apologize, but themed month that we just had in October was extremely successful. Thank you to everyone who downloaded and interacted with the show in ways that, um, you know, maybe you hadn't listened to the show before. I find I pick up a lot of new listeners that uh, are very interested in whatever themed month I'm having. So, um, you know, I was excited to uh, hopefully get some of you along for this ride because ultimately I want you to be downloading every single episode regardless of the guest. And those are the people that I am I'm trying to connect with. Like, I really want to be, I don't want to be a radio show in the sense of I want to be in your ears five days a week. I don't want that. But what I want is for you to be looking forward to the, when this thing comes out. When I put it out on a Wednesday or a Thursday, I want you to be like, man, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the guest. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. I'm highly caffeinated, and that's probably why I am all over the place. But the conversation I had with Adam Blake, this was something we did a while ago. He came over to my house, and, man, like, I knew I liked him on a sort of person-to-person level already because we had hung out a few times previous to this. But after our conversation, I was like, oh, Adam, just great. He was so open, so honest about his life that I was, uh, frankly, I was taken aback. There are moments when, um, you know, I feel like some people may come in with trying to be, uh, you know, protective over their, their image or who they are as a person. Um, but anytime a person comes in here and is just like, oh, yeah, I'm an open book, and then they actually deliver on that, I'm, I'm so excited about that. So uh, Adam came over to my home studio or house, as I like to call it, <laughs> and we sat around my kitchen table and had a very great discussion. He has so many awesome experiences and so many lessons to uh, be taught and also learn himself. We went into so many different places. But anyways, without further rambling, and I promise I will do the next intro a little less caffeinated <laughs> because I do feel a little manic right now. But uh, yeah, without further ado, here's my discussion with Adam and I will talk to you after the conversation is over. I just remember, because like the first time I actually met you in person was when we had that lovely lunch at Cafe Gratitude. Cafe Gratitude. And it was, it was one of those things I, I, I'd been aware of what you had done in the past, you know, as mm-hmm. far as you being an HO and everything. Um, but I, I was, uh, you're very charming. Thanks. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank and you. It was it, what I actually like to call, define these people, yourself included, where you're an easy hang, where it's like, generally speaking, you could kind of like plug yourself into different groups of people and you can generally navigate in there okay. Yeah, but I- it's been a life skill that I've had to develop. <laughs> really? Yeah. You were not easy to hang out at one. Uh, well, <laughs> if you if you really want to get into it, when I was younger, um, my mother refers to me as having been painfully shy. Oh, interesting. And uh, if I'm talking about a subject that is taboo for this podcast, please let me know. But I have to say, yes. Um, oh, this is terrible to say this because <laughs> no, I'm, okay. I'm worried There's the young no, kids are listening. No, no judgment. For me personally, my gateway from being painfully shy to being able to be social was drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not necessarily like the positive party line, but the truth be told, I was 
really withdrawn as a kid, mm-hmm. and they gave me a little boost of confidence sure. that kind of took me out of myself. And then I didn't need them anymore to, to continue. Right. With you, them. you felt what it was yeah, like. Yeah, I the- felt what it was like on the other side, and I was able to go with it. Um, and then just throughout life, having you know traveled a lot, been in different bands, lived in a high Christian temple. Right. Kind of just... You kind of just learn to be you wherever you are. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely, I, I mean, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because they're definitely, I mean, there's a reason that alcohol is called a social lubricant. It absolutely. I mean, for me, it absolutely was. Totally. But in England, you kind of, it's kind of compulsory. You have to drink at 13 in England or they throw you in prison. <laughs> no, I, yeah. totally. Culturally yeah. speaking, yeah. it's so yeah. different yeah. Oh, from yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's a world of difference, man. <laughs> totally. It's, it's just like, here, here, here yeah. this is in your yeah. bottle, right? Yeah. yeah, you get milk and whiskey. <laughs> Just warm you up yeah, for the world. Yeah. When you're a baby, they're not sure if you if you can walk yet or if you're just too drunk to walk. They can't tell. <laughs> that's so, yeah. that's so perfect. Well, I, but I I do appreciate that because I, I I do think that is a, that is a skill for you to be able to like I said sort of integrate within most situations and kind of be like and have people walking away at like Adam's a cool dude. He seems on the level, you know. Like because I mean, some people don't have that. It, I genuine. I think it's because I genuinely find a lot of people in. Okay. And I'm okay with listening. You know? I think that's big. Yeah. Because people will show you who they are if you give them enough time, big enough window to do. It's a very good point. You know? So just right. sitting back, listening, into helping push the conversation along without necessarily trying to dominate it. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's very I mean, those are those are very mature things to be able to like. Well, I'm full, I'm over forty. So. No, it's yeah. true. But I mean, yeah. well, you you, you don't look yeah. like you're over twenty five. Thanks, so. man. Thank you. Thank you. I only I only wish this podcast came with photographs so people <laughs> could see. So you were you were born and raised in the UK. Yes. Where in particular? I was born in Kingston, Surrey, and I grew up kind of within you know a stone's throw of that. So that's actually what's called one. Of, I think it's a home county, which is like a suburb of a suburb, like okay. it's outside London. Um, but then London was where kind of all my shit went down. You know, right. That's kind of where I would take the subway in every weekend, a couple of times a week to hang out. It's where I, did, where I first went to concerts, mm-hmm. where me and all my friends would go. You know, the area I lived in was, um, it was not the kind of area you wanted to hang out in. Was it, was it a little seedy, I guess you would say? It was or sketchy, was it- yeah. Okay. I mean... It was a place called Hounslow, was was where I kind of like went into my from my early teens okay. on. That's kind of like your formative years, right? Where you're kind of becoming a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was some there was some like some like cr- criminal activity. You could yeah, have fallen it was, into gangs. Well, it was weird because no, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have fallen into gangs purely because ethnically I wouldn't have been allowed uh, to be. It was right. very there was a lot of believe it or not Indian gangs. Okay, interesting. Which Americans are like, huh? Totally. But it's like in, in that part of the world, in, in, in Hausa, it was, it was common. I mean, it kind of makes sense. You've got all these people coming to England mm-hmm. from India, and they and like English people love them to death, but they're not always the warmest bunch when people kind of mm-hmm. come over. So they're getting the shit kicked out of them. They're getting all this abuse. So, of course, they toughen up, right? right. You know what I mean? i like, got to get some friends. To yeah, play, they, right. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, so there was some of that going on. There was a lot of um, just like street crime and stuff like that like right. it wasn't the kind of area i really wanted to hang out in sure you know i you got i got that. i got attacked with machetes on one occasion oh my god yeah just for like simply existing and walking by simply for walking down the street a car pulled up i had a bunch of guys jumped out yelled at me for for the color of my skin i'm like well this is this is interesting this is what it feels like huh right. and a machete tire iron and i gotta say i don't know how fast usain bolt is but right. i'm pretty sure that i like 
probably matched his 100 meters time. Wow. So just, I, just hit the road. Fuck yeah. Right. I yeah. see a machete. This isn't... Right. I'm, not, no, I'm you're out. not hanging around. I'm out. I'm out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was... So it was interesting. Interesting. But like London was always like way more diverse. I loved it. It just had this energy to it. It's an international city and that's always where I would go and hang out. Right, right. And so what was your uh, what was your family structure like? Like mother and father, yeah. brothers and sisters? Mom and pa had been together. I was at the wedding. Um, I was mad small, but I was at the wedding. Sure. Um, and uh, I got a younger brother who in some ways has surpassed me in maturity levels in that he has two kids, like a real kind of career. You know, right. he's... He's almost like a role model to me in some ways now. Right, he's you know? an adult. Now. Yeah, he's a grown ass man, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so, what did your what did your family what were your family professions like? What were your mom and dad? Uh, doing? My dad was in. I guess you would call it construction. He was a rigger. Oh, okay. So his job was essentially moving heavy machinery, setting up those giant cranes, kind of all that kind of stuff. And he would travel a ton for work. So a lot of my upbringing, he wasn't around for. He would come. He was a big old drunk too. Really? Big old drunk. Yeah, he'd come home. Hope my dad doesn't listen to this. He would uh, he would come home from like a long trip. I, w- I almost had come home from tour. It's so weird. But he would come home from like a long trip where he'd been away for like a month. Say hi to my mom. Say hi to us. Um, go straight to the bar. Okay. Just come home like hammered. Sure. And my mom was was the homemaker. She had jobs, but it was always like she would always make sure she had. Yeah, she had to take care of you guys. She had right. to take care of us. But a lot of it was just me and my brother just running crazy rampant. Yeah, my parents are wicked liberal too. Like looking back, I'm like wow super liberal actually. right like no curfews like you had no like bongs at, bong hits at the christmas dinner table oh got it good yeah. right there yeah yeah i mean i mean they were like i mean it's weird because i always see my parents were like straight laced but when i like hear other people's stories i'm like huh maybe because you only got one set of parents right like what's your comparison that was your normal what's right. your, yeah what's your, what's normal like uh-huh. for me that was normal like very like very kind of open freedom open discussion like you know, my mom especially. My dad. My dad was was almost like he was sketchily close to wanting to be a party buddy at some points. Okay. You know, he's always a, you know he's my dad, but he's he, of he's, he's got a young mind too. He's like kind of like kind of like I am. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's a very interesting environment, and I, mean, I do like the point that you make where it's like, especially like I, I'm coming at it from where it's like I'm a father to a four year old child, right. and I, when you have a child or when you exist around children, you do understand the concept of just like parents have no fucking clue what they're doing. No, it's it's it's. It's like, it's, it's, I've heard it referred to as you have nine months or 10 months, however long it is, where everyone's like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And then you have the baby, they hand you the baby, they're like, okay, off you go. Yeah. Oh my word. Like you're, you're responsible for the raising of a human being. Like it's, it's like, and it's not like it's a, it, it's like the, the, at least the first one. Yeah. Like you've got to figure it out. Totally. You've yeah, you've got, and, and you realize too, where it's just like, like you're reflecting yeah. on yeah. looking at your parents yeah. where you're just like. That was my normal. Yeah. That's not in anyone yeah. else's normal. Yeah. And you're just like, and all your parents yeah. were doing is they're just like, oh, we're yeah. doing the best we can. And if you mess up, you, yeah. it's big. You that know? stays with you for yeah. 30 years. Yeah, or beyond, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy, yeah. But, it's, I mean, like you said, to be able to observe something like that and then retroactively go back and yeah. be like, oh, so that isn't normal. Yeah. Like smoking weed in front of yeah. me or whatever. But, I mean, I mean, that's also, you know, that's not <clears throat> a harmful way to grow up either. No. I mean, it's, it. Certainly made straight edge feel a hell of a lot more rebellious when I discovered it. <laughs> totally, you're you know? like, not only am I, I going like, to show them, I'll stop taking all drugs, I'll stop drinking, I'll get my life in order. That'll teach my parents. Totally. I'll teach They're them like, a lesson. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I might yeah. even go to school. How about that? 
Take that, mom, Paul. Try, try that one on for size. Yeah. Um, and so did you, uh, you know, as you started to, like you said, become a human being and obviously go to London and start to develop an identity, um, what sort of kid did you find yourself being? Were you, you know, rambunctious? Were you, did you care about school? Like, where, uh, did you, where were you well, traveling? I would describe myself as, as a constant seeker. Okay. You know, like, I would, I would move around from different groups of friends and, and I, was, I would say I was fairly easily influenced because uh, I would buy any idea that someone told me for about two weeks okay and then i'd be like wait a second this is crap you were were a sampler yeah i was like i was kind of dabbling in a lot of different things to see what i felt fit Uh you know what i mean um give me some examples of the of the things that you were were sampling at that time. like for example let me i know i I can't even remember like it could even be like a dress style like a fashion style you know what i mean or a certain you know, like, hey, we're, we're, my, that guy wears that shirt. I like that shirt. I'm going to wear it too. And I'd wonder, look in the mirror and be like, I look like a ridiculous. You know, it's like <laughs> that kind of thing, you totally, know? Totally, totally. Um, and I would say that I was also a person who, uh, who kind of, looking back, I asked a lot of questions that ended up kind of, the answers I discovered turned out to be correct. For example, I, when I was... F- 15, I pretty much stopped going to most classes. Okay. Um, because I started asking myself, well, if I follow this path, where does it lead? And I'd be, you know, basic math, I totally understood the need for. Basic arithmetic, I understood the need for. Once we got into algebra, I was like, huh? What's, what's this all about? Like, right. what's the upside to me learning this? And, and I was like, eh, fuck it. I'm going to go do something else with my time. Okay. I'm going to go, I'll, I'll, I'm going to just just step outside those gates. I'll come back later for this English class that I like, or, or, you know, the drama class that I like, I'd skip out on the ones that I thought were whack. And it turns out like I'm 42 years old, turning 43, never needed algebra. Right. Hasn't come up. My lack of algebra skills has never become apparent. So that's the, I look back and I'm like, that's a little bit of a window into kind of my thought process. Like I, I look for the why, you know, like right. why, why am I doing this? And I and I and if I don't find an answer, there's a strong strong chance that I'll stop doing it fairly right. fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were that. I mean, that is interesting because I definitely think that I think most kids obviously feel that same experience of what you're talking about. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, what am I going to do this? Why go to yeah. school? And like, yeah. you you ask why, but then the the step of action is usually yeah. never like you just don't think that's an yeah. option. Yeah. Though, though that being said, if when I have children, God help them if they try and skip out of algebra. <laughs> totally. <laughs> God help me. Yeah, do do as I what yeah, is say. Yeah. Do as I say, not as yeah, I do. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. But well, I mean, I mean, it's you know, like, an important point. To, yeah, to realize. Yeah, like I always kind of knew what I wanted to do when I when I discovered music. That was it, man. Burn the ships. Um, I'm good. This is this right. is where I want to go. And uh, how did and how did that kind of infiltrate you initially? Well, it's it's funny. Like I I because uh, you were the older brother, you didn't have yeah, the luxury so of it, having it that. It came down. from school. I was in school, and I never really was like a music person you know what i mean like i would listen like anyone like i was your average i don't know like your average civilian i guess in quotations like of i course. like music it was in the background yeah it's cool but i was never like into it and i uh became friends with a bunch of like heavy metal dudes long head they were like the long head heavy metal dudes at school and we just kind of clicked you know um i can't remember if i got into dungeons and dragons before i got into music or if it happened at the same time but it was like a D role-playing kind yeah. of thing um one of them was like, you got to listen to it, to this music. And he, he would, he fucked up because he would play me. He would try and like, he tried to make like early Slayer, like my gateway drug. This is like 80, maybe it wasn't even Slayer, I don't know, 86, 87, you know okay. what I mean? Like around then I'm like, 
man, this is just, this is noise. Yep. And then he's like, and it, it's weird because you can like look at these moments in, in your life, I think everyone has them, where if you cast your mind back, you're right there. You know what I mean? And it's like... Super vivid, right? It's super vivid because it's such a profound moment in, in your, your journey. And he gave me Dio's last in line cassette. Cassette, right? Cassette, like like a copied, like yep. copied cassette. And I put it on and I didn't make it past the first song for like an hour. I just kept rewinding it. You know, like, I felt like it was like a roller coaster. Like my, my arm hairs are standing up right now when yeah, I tell yeah. the story because I can feel it again. Like I felt like it was like an emotional, spiritual metaphysical roller coaster like the way that music made me feel and then from then on it was over right. then it was maiden maiden was like maiden to this day new record comes out today by the way right right um <laughs> um you know and I, it was just man i was like a metalhead you know and i was a true believer you know i, I when i was young i cut i took a razor blade and carved ozzy into my arm sure as one does as one does you know ozzy osmore being being satan and all that at of the time course. i was like you know, so that's true because he, yeah, I mean, at that time, at too. that time, there was no internet, so you right. believed it. Like you believed, like man, this, this Aussie guy's crazy, right? Um, what he's portraying on his records yeah, is him. him, right? It's 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 such a different it's it's such a different world, and I think it. I mean, not to sound like a luddite, but I think it's such a shame that kids will never have that pure separation between the art and the artist mm -hmm. you know what i mean again totally it's never going to happen again there's never going to be an artist that you can't find out you know you, that picture of glenn danzig with cat litter right you know it's like the shitty picture when i was a kid that would have bummed me out i would have been so bummed to see that i'd be like it's fucking danzig i don't totally. even i don't even want to think about danzig except he's either on stage or worshiping satan that's it that's all right. danzig does play Period. shows worship the devil that's right. it and you know it's like well, yeah, because, I mean, it is, it is an interesting point because it's like, obviously, the premium is paid now yeah. on people sharing yeah. their lives. For sure. And so it's like now, yeah, but back then, that didn't exist because all you had was what they put right. out and, physically. And you would discover things through their subtle, like, recommendation. Like, I'm sure you come from Hawk or so. I'm sure mm -hmm. you remember the days of scouring the thanks list for, sure. for bands that they thanked. Right. Like, oh. Buying records have, that yeah. have no, you have no yeah. idea what they yeah. sound like. I remember seeing, like, Farside get thanked on, like, four or five albums, and I was like, I gotta get a gotta Farside get Farside. record. Gotta get a Farside record. Have to. It's They're cool. cool. Farside's cool. Perfect. They're liked by these bands. I gotta get it. And that's how you would, it yep. was one of the ways, you know, it was, right. and it was like, you kind of felt like you were a little bit of a, of a prospect to digging for gold. You know what I mean? You, you couldn't be lazy. It wasn't going to just show up in your inbox. No. You had to go find it. Right. And, like, and, it, I, and you, and you may, and because of that, I think what the, the way that I tried to describe that time too, is like, it was devoid of context. Like totally. you, you were able to sample stuff in regards to like just buying records yeah. completely sight unseen. Yeah. And then you got burned a lot because you were just like, oh, this is a song. Yeah. Like, this sucks, but I bought it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get yeah. into it, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. But then you, you, would, you would have no uh, frame of reference for, like, maybe you're like, okay, the band is from New York. Like, that's probably yeah. all that yeah. I know about them. For sure. Like, like, I remember the Mike Judge solo record. Sure. And, and that's the record I grew to, to appreciate a lot more over the years. But when I bought it, oh. I was stoked. I was like, oh, shit. It's going down. Judge record's on. Go, getting ready, getting ready. And I'm like, and literally I'm taking the record off being like, they probably put the wrong <laughs> label on this record. Is this, it's, I know, this isn't, doesn't sound anything like it. Right. And uh, with the internet, I probably, at that age, when I was a very partisan in what I liked, I wouldn't have probably even listened to it. Right. I mean, it turns out to be a record that I loved over time, but it's still, yeah, it's yeah. different, man. Like, I love that idea of like passing the cassette along, like, check this new shit out. Right. You know what I mean? Here's, here's a record, here's the music, 
here's maybe a, a picture and maybe a couple other pictures right. and some artwork. That's it. I, I also think it's really important, too, what you were talking about in regards to you being into role-playing in Dungeons yeah. & Dragons because it's like the metal in Dungeons & Dragons are obviously intertwined beyond anything that, that most people would even understand. Like, you know, role-playing games that exist now, they're not attached to a particular music scene. No. But it's like both of those were just like, oh, and yeah, I can, I can slay dragons while listening to Dio. Yeah, you know? like, and it makes total sense. Totally. It's total sense. It's like this, it's, it's, it was definitely like a very much of a lifestyle. You know, like if you look at the rest of, of H2O, they definitely came from like kind of much more, much more of a hardcore background. I definitely, my gateway was metal. Yeah. For sure. No, no. That's... Full on, long hair, like... I remember growing my hair like oh, it's below my ears. Oh, it's on my shoulder. Oh, it's on my nipples now. You know, you get right. sight like these little like milestones of how metal you were. <laughs> and then, were you? Yeah. Did you adopt the fashion as well? Were Fuck you? yeah, oh, denim and leather, all that shit, totally. all of it. Studs, Skin tight jeans. Oh, tight tops, tight fuck, all that, all that. I love, all I love that. that. But all I, that. but because it, to me, it's like it's one of those things where it's like when you commit to something and you wear like in hindsight, what is the most ridiculous stuff possible? You're just like, dude. Because I believed it. I lived it. Yeah, I mean, and I believed it enough that essentially becoming a metalhead for me was taking a vow of celibacy. Girls were like, you're gross. You're gross. And also basically making yourself a target. Like, there was a, there was a thing a few years... Like, I'm live and let live, pretty much. Right. But there was this thing a few years ago where, people, where like, hipsters were wearing, like, metal shirts. Yeah. I genuinely got mad at that because I was like, when I was young, like, people would, like, yell at, you know... And I know that's something that, that metalheads and punk rock people have in common. Like, mm-hmm. you would catch abuse from a lot of people just from... Right, the way you look. Yeah, right. the way you looked and what you were about. And you might be, you might have the best intention in the world, but you look kind of weird. <laughs> people don't like that. Not at all. Very strange. The, um, and so what... Uh, I mean, obviously, you came to the United States. Mm-hmm. When did you come to... Like, how, how did... Right. Did you play in bands over there? Like, I, how okay, you- so I played... I. I when I stopped going to regular school, mm-hmm. um, I actually, it's funny, I actually told my, my guidance counselor, I'm going to move to America and join a band. She didn't, she was nice enough not to laugh in my face, but... When you were 15, you told her this? Yeah, I think it was 15 or 16, yeah. That's I mean, it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> just it's weird, it's like a manifestation of a reality that I always wanted. Right, and you're like, I'm going to put this into the world. So, and then, oh. I fell in love with hardcore music, okay. because metal's awesome, but you can only be so evil. You know, it starts to like get a little, you know, you start to see the, the pantomime of it all, you totally. know? The theatrics yeah. are like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. I can never do that. Yeah. I can never yeah. get on stage. Yeah. And, yeah. And then hardcore just, it had such a great energy, you know, like Gorilla Biscuit's first record, man. It's funny, like, I, I, I tell this story and it seems ridiculous, but how I got into to, to hardcore was through a lot of the straight edge bands. And the funny thing is, the straight edge bands make some of the best music to get drunk to. You know, sure, like, it's, it's true. so like energetic and totally. it's a lot very positive and it's kind of sing along when it's done well. And it was, you know, I mean, it's, I, it's like dudes getting drunk in a bar. Yeah. It's chanting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I became, I became very inspired by that side of things. And, uh, and so this, this was like late, this was like this late was, 80s, early yeah, 90s. This is probably, this is late 80s, early 90s. It's probably moving into early 90s, cool. 90 yeah. probably. So yeah, so you, you could see the yeah. proverbial scene yeah. that was developing but, in the but States. I mean, in England it was, I don't know how it was over here because I wasn't here, but like hardcore kids were very open-minded. Like through, through being involved with hardcore and hardcore kids, I was going to see Nick Cave shows in like Henry's Dream Tour. What's that, like 90, 91? Sure, when sure. every single night he did in London. Going to see, you know, Swerve Driver. Going to see Rage Against the Machine's first show. Going to see Caius's first show over there. That's incredible. Yeah, like, so it was weird because it was like almost 
the tip of the spear for alternative music. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Was like the hard, hardcore scene was definitely like ahead of everyone else for that. Right. So you would go to see all these bands, and then like three months later, there'd be you know, Faith No More's first show on the Real Thing tour. You know, Sepultura's first show. Like it was always hardcore kids were there. That was just kind of what people did because you went to go out to a show, preferably a show where you could throw yourself off stage, and it was mm-hmm. except um, right. And then I was a huge fan of Ray Capel, Ragnarok. Like to me, he's still one of the greatest lyricists. Mm-hmm. And you know, through music, an inspirational force for me. Um, and through Shelter, I became really interested. Like I said, I was a seeker as a, as a kid, and I, I kind of feel I've always had that with me in spirituality. Sure. And what I liked about his lyrics were that he spoke. He never really gave a lot of answers. He just asked all the right questions. It's very true. Yeah. So he's always like, you know, are you just this body? And really think about it, probably not. I, I certainly hope not, you know. And so he, he kind of very gently through lyrics led you to down the path and, and I discovered Christian consciousness at the same time I decided to go to music school. Okay. So I went to a one-year full-time music program um, studying electric bass. So um, Why did you choose bass? It's funny. Like, I actually, originally I picked up a guitar. Like, I was playing guitar the whole time. As a metalhead, as soon as, soon as my hair, grow my hair, buy a leather jacket, buy a guitar, right. learn to play guitar. Um, fingers bled, all that traditional stuff. Sure. Hours, you know, staying in my room. Shredding. <laughs> Shredding's an Shredding. exaggeration, man. Um, right. Shredding my fingers, maybe. Okay. Um, and then, like, because I was a giant Iron Maiden fan, Steve Harris was always, like, my dude. But I'd yet to learn the real difference between bass and guitar. And I was like, huh, Steve's got four strings. And Dave and Adrian got six. I got six. I'm a four. I'm what he's got. So I figured out, oh, it's, this oh, it's is bass. bass. And then, so I got a bass, and I, I switched to bass, and I started playing bass. Plus, it seemed like everyone was playing guitar. Right. You know? You wanted a ying when everyone yeah, else was, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So everyone's playing guitar, someone's got to play bass, right? Um, so I started playing bass, and then I went to music school. And I was in, like, this, like, grindcore band that put out some records over there but after I was in them. Okay. Um, and studied music. And that was another one of those where if I'd have followed my thought pattern that, I, that took me out of regular school, I should have probably dropped out of music school. But because it was music, I gritted my teeth and kind of bed with it. I'm like, okay, jazz class, jazz lab. I'm going to play jazz. I mean, the one thing about it, it forced me to really, it really ripped my ears wide open. Sure. Because they're like, you got to listen to this. you got to listen to that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do, do this. So you end up opening your ears to a bunch of stuff. And I discovered some music that to this day is some of my favorites. Right. But it was like, man, I, don't, I ain't going to need this. Yeah, this is algebra to me. Yeah, right. I'm not going to need this. It is algebra music. I'm not going to need this. But right. I'm going to stick with it because music, I do it. And, uh, and then I met at the Harry Krishna Temple in London where I go on Sunday for f- the free feast, a guy that was in shelter. Okay. A guy called uh, Graham Land or, or Gayatri Das, as his initiated name was. Okay. And we became friends. He knows at music school, he knows a devotee. He was playing bass in shelter at the time. Okay. And he went back to America and he wanted to stop doing shelter for, you know, whatever reason. And he had a dream that I took his place. Wow. Right? That's what, I, that's what I said earlier about, like, manifesting reality just by your pure desire to make it so. Uh-huh. So Shelter's my favorite band in the world. Ray Capper is my favorite lyricist spreading a message that I truly believe in. I'm in music school and I'm a Hare Krishna. It's like opportunity meets preparation. Totally. And he calls me. Listen, crazy idea. You want to fly to New York and try for Shelter? I was like, <laughs> Yes. Of course. Like, I'm on a plane. And it's weird because I was I was wondering, what if I said no? What if I just chickened out? 
Sure. And what would I be doing? I mean, it's super intimidating. I mean, I was, I was in music school and I was working as a janitor at a printing press. Like white, you know, yep. cloth, face mask, earphones, because the presses are so loud and there's so much air in the air, like eye goggles. Like, this is my life. Right. So I said yes. Um, it was cool because I knew every show. I already knew every, like I say, preparation. I already knew every shelter song. Right. Oh, you want to throw, throw me a B-side? I got it. You know? Sure, I'll step right yeah, in. Yeah, I got it. And, I, and I, I flew out to Brooklyn. I remember, I, once again, one of those moments I remember the very first night getting to Brooklyn is terrified. Hearing gunshots, this is oh, yeah. Brooklyn. There's a uh, homeless shelter, Harry Krishna Temple, Methadone Clinic. Right. That's the road, right? So you can imagine what the streets are like. And just being terrified, waking up in the morning, meeting Ray and Purcell, and just being like... What am I doing here? It was like, it was weird. It was like being the Wizard of Oz. I was like, this is so weird. Like, you're not real people to me. You're, now you, be- yeah. you just became human. You stepped down from Olympus. Absolutely. And, uh, and then... We went into rehearsal and our practice, or yeah. right, it was audition. It was me, Ray, Giselle, Sammy. So at the top of the show, you heard me talk about this awesome subscription service called Loot Crate. Here's more info. They send you amazing exclusive stuff for basically $20 a month. You will get six to eight items of gamer pop culture, licensed gear, apparel, toys, collectibles, basically the stuff that you would find at the best collectible comic book store, it comes right to your door. You don't even need to go out there and be like, oh man, I got I to gotta buy this thing here. I want this thing to put on this shelf. You don't do any of that. So visit lootcrate.com backslash words and enter the code words to save $3 off of your subscription. And they've got, this month will be pretty rad. They're basically they have a theme for each month, and the month the theme this month they're all inspired by classic movie and video games releases, as well as pulling from pop culture franchise. Previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda. So that gives you a context for what you're jumping into. And basically, every loot crate that hits your doorstep is like one of your close friends being like, "Hey." Here's, here's a rad gift. How about you check out this stuff that I've really been into? And it takes the guesswork out of everything. It basically will, will loop you into the coolest stuff, and uh, it's just really exciting. Because, I mean, who doesn't love to receive mail once a month with exclusive collectible toys and figurines and everything else that you could possibly want? So, like I said, visit lootcrate.com backslash words and enter the code words for $3 off. You have until the 19th of this month before 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to get this month's subscription. So do it now. Just press pause, go to lootcrate.com backslash words, enter the code words, $3 off, and you will be basking in all of the pop culture, toy, memorabilia stuff you could possibly want. So thank you very much, Loot Crate. And now on with the show. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm in youth of today right now. Right. <laughs> and, uh... So people that listen to this not likely know hardcore, right? So they know yes. like how awesome that probably is to like oh, a hardcore fan from Absolutely. Like, this is yeah, great. Yeah. So we played all the shelter songs and they there was a discussion of perhaps my height an issue, because I'm not sure. I'm six feet four inches tall. And Ragunath and Parmananda, Ray and Purcell, are not the not the, you know, yeah. they're not the most statuesque of fellas. So, no, you know, so we decided that little crouching could work, you know, so got the gig. Moved to America. We ran into the Harry Fisher Temple. 
That's incredible. Yeah. So what uh, what what records did you play on for? Shelter? I played on Mantra, which is the record. But people in, in people like opinion. it. People like Mantra. I'm very happy. That was my first ever real recording experience. I mean that that to me that was the record that I enjoyed the Shelter stuff on Rev. Yeah. But that was the record where it was like I saw you guys play at the barn in UC or in Riverside with Voodoo Gold Skulls. I think I was was I. If, if I don't it, know if, if I was in the band. I don't know what yours, but I switched to I played bass on the record, but live I got I say demoted, but it's nobody really demoted. I got switched to guitar. <laughs> oh, okay, and then Franklin came in and played bass. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I yeah. I was whatever sixteen. Yeah. I would, yeah. I didn't pay attention yeah, to anything besides bag enough right. charismatic Ooh, charismatic fellow. Totally. Um, so that's that's mind blowing. At, yeah. at, at, at the time that you you were you went to the states, like, <laughs> where did that sit in your parents' head? Where they were just like, oh my god, Adam. no, it's funny. Like I say, super liberal parents. Like, all right, cool, like go for it. They just, just, we'll don't, don't, just don't be don't be a moony. Don't get don't get sucked into some crazy cult. And I was like, oh well, maybe hey, Christian simple. Um, but they were cool that they met Shelter. The Shelter guy stayed at our house. Ragnarok apartment undercooked. My parents. Uh, it was it was like my parents have always been super supportive. That's incredible. Though. Um, it was. Pretty, uh, well, yeah, to step in from, like you said, the manifestation of the idea yeah. to the actual execution of it, and then to be in the middle yeah. of that, because, I mean, that record yeah. cycle, I'm sure, was insane. It, it was, was Roadrunner. Was nice, I mean, yeah. that, so much yeah. money was flowing into oh, the cool. independent music scene at that point. Crazy. Because yeah. they, that was like, you know, I always equate it to where it's like, whatever, that was like, you know, 96-ish or so, and that was like the, maybe the third wave of bands where they're like, all right, this is going to be the next Nirvana oh, yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Well, that, when I when I went to H two O, that was really you know, sure. Everyone's getting signed. Major labels just like showing up at CBS. Anyone in the band? Here's a contract. Sign it. You <laughs> know, it's gotcha. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but with Shelter, it's weird because I f- this is weird because in Christian consciousness, they say that Krishna has an arrangement, and if you want to serve, he will find service for you. Okay. And as hokey as it may sound to people listening out there, whatever your spiritual beliefs is, I truly believe that if that because I believed in the message so much and thought it was such a good thing that I was given the opportunity to help spread it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's weird. when Looking back, it's so bizarre to me. Like, sure. Living in a temple, like, what I, what, the way I went afterwards, because I went real rock and roll, man. Right. Like, like, dirt, like after shelter? Oh, or after, oh, oh, no, after sure. shelter. During shelter. During shelter. Like, shelter. Like, shelter was pretty, you know, it was pretty, pretty, tight, pretty, pretty, pretty tight shit there, yeah. They, yeah, didn't, yeah, they yeah. didn't want anyone running around doing anything silly. But, uh, no, 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 yeah. But it was... Uh, so then, after you 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 left you left Shelter because uh, I mean essentially like after that record that record cycle it, it started to dwindle down. Yeah, well, I mean, towards the end of my my time at Shelter, it just started becoming really kind of frustrating to me because I've told this story many times and it's not doesn't paint the other members of the band in the most favorable light. Yeah. So things didn't work out. Let's say that with Shelter, yeah. and I decided that. You know, I was really miserable and I wasn't happy and they could feel it and it was just decided this isn't working out. You right. know, parting of the ways. I became friends with H2O on our previous tour. God. So I go back to England and I remember I was like, what am I going to do now? I was like, well, I've got a whole bunch more life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll know what I'll do. But I wasn't going to be happy cleaning printing presses anymore. You know what right. I mean? And then Rusty actually calls me up. He's like, you want to join H2O? I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Up on a plane, go back. Didn't even try out. Just learn the songs we're playing a show. Great. I was in. Great. That was 96. <laughs> and that, that to me felt a lot more of a free situation. Um, Absolutely. Because th- those guys are like, everyone in H2O is super open-minded. Yes. And they, they kind of liked seeing me come out of myself, you know, because I'd been the devotee for a long time. Right. You know? 
I, I always admired the uh, Hare Krishna movement, consciousness, whatever you'd like to call it. But how, how did you, how do you, I guess, transition out, for lack of a better term? Because obviously people um, do that. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, and like, I mean yeah. it, it depends on your degree of involvement, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, I would say I was fired up. They call it fired up without it. Right. Probably for a year before joining Shelter okay. and probably for my first year being in shelter. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a decent amount of time to Absolutely. be about it, you know? And then, like I say, like, I'll start to ask questions with myself, like, eh, what's this leading? Then I just kind of just, like I say, because of stuff that happened within the band, I was kind of burnt on the whole thing. And then... Well, I mean, and, and to be clear, too, it's like, it, it, it is one of those things where it's like, there was, uh, there's an all-consuming nature to a band that has a movement such as what shelter For sure, did. for sure. Like, it's not just joining a band no it's not it's your you you represent something to i mean it was crazy like we'd play shows and they'd be like for the show there'd be a harry krishna pit of them just chanting right you know and yeah it's it just i, I just want to make sure that i put that in context yeah. because it's like that there, there there's definitely something that's more um that i mean it's just obviously not present now yeah it was still the str- the strangest experience i've had because the spirituality and the music really met you know, you would have Harry Krishnas and Mass come to shows that had no idea about hardcore. Right. No idea. They were just there to chant Harry Krishna, serve food, light incense, and dance. And then you had hardcore kids who were there to, like, you know, go off. And it was this crazy, like, meeting of the worlds, you know? Right, right. And, uh, yeah, I remember just, I remember we played everywhere, like, especially Europe. Because Euro- Europeans, they get into shit. You know of what I mean? Course. They would be nuts. It was just a strange time. I remember playing with, we played, like, went to Scandinavia, played with Refused over there. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I guess I put that on the list of cool bands I saw. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. Well. a pretty long list of those. And, uh, right. And just the energy was just, it was different, you know? And then Absolutely. different to regular shows because you really had, like, that. It was an event. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then I don't, th- I just kind of think that just died out for Shelter as a whole, you know? It did, I think, yeah, I yeah. mean. Well, it, I mean, to be, and to be frank, it's really hard to sustain. Yeah, absolutely energy. it is. Absolutely it is. So absolutely it's like it no matter what, you're going to run into a certain yeah. wall. And then when the person who is viewed as an icon to that yeah. particular movement, yeah. when they run into the uh, just keeping up that energy level, yeah. that's when other people are just like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not yeah. as into it. It's yeah. like yeah. that's, just, that's sure. just what happens. For sure. For sure. I mean, it was definitely a star that burned very bright and Absolutely. then kind of dwindled out, you know? Totally. I mean, that's, I know that Ragnarok and Parliament Under are both still yeah. devotional in their ways, you right, know? Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the list, people that are in shelter, like the amount of members, right. you throw a rock any random place, there's a good chance you might hit one. There's a ton of us. Like, ex-shelter so, members, totally. it's yeah, yeah. deep double figures, man. Like, no, the amount true. of people that like have stepped on stage with that, man. I just happen to have been one of the people that was lucky enough to be there at kind of the Peak, Absolutely. peak of the wave where, where it was like kind of a bigger, bigger situation totally yeah there were a lot of eyes on you guys yeah. and so then you were you were uh and, and so then you basically you just felt less uh attached to that yeah, movement I felt less so attached, sort of, yeah less attached to the to the to my bandmates as a whole i just kind of like like a satellite floating you know? yeah, felt like yeah. a fake kind of you know sure sure and h2o was a much better fit i mean those are like those are my brothers right you know i mean and did you family. so then when you, you were in the uk and you flew back to join yeah I flew back again and then so then at that point you were just living in the states then i just yeah, yeah okay yeah according to your government to this day i'm still an alien and of extraordinary ability all that oh so you have to petition every so often well, i to petition get... every three years yeah but i'm married i mean it, now right. it's just a formality but right 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 uh, no, I, alien I just... of extraordinary ability <laughs> I like that. I like that. I totally love yeah. that. 
the so was it uh just because you obviously since you didn't live in new york city and like you said you kind of were able to experience the um you know the weird nature that is that city and then obviously the scene um h2o i always thought was this weird band in the sense of like obviously it came from new york city Mm -hmm. obviously it came from a lot of the violent tendencies that happened in new york city Mm -hmm. uh but h2o was never part of that but you were tangentially always you always had people that were in like you said satellites and in your orbit so was it weird being kind of like airdropped into a situation like in 96 of just being like Oh, so like I was already familiar with H2O and I'm very excited to join, but then it's like there's all these like Yeah, it was it was strange. Like I remember like because there were people that because I lived in the temple and, and they were never like they were never like trash taught, but they were discussed in the terms reserved for like criminal masterminds. You know what I mean? Okay. The guys in bands, you know, that I would that I would meet through H2O on a social level and I was like, Man, this this guy's cool. I'd be terrified to meet him though, you know, I'd be like and I don't want to meet that guy. His reputation, precedes, His reputation him, right? precedes him by far, you know? And right. they tend to be like the greatest guys in the world, you know? Right, right. Um, it was weird because, no pun intended, but I'd been quite sheltered up to that point in New sure, York City. Sure. Like, my life was the Harry Christian Temple and walking around by myself. That was it. Right. That was it. My social life just exploded. Like, I was meeting all these people. I was hanging out. Um, we went on tour with Murphy's Law, and they're like, yeah, this guy's ready to go. Let's get him drunk. And that was my, that was the breaking of the edge. Okay, if you're nice. gonna break edge, break edge with Jimmy Gestapo. I almost yeah. feel like you get a pass for that, you know. It's true. There, there definitely yeah. there are a few people yeah. who are just like, that's yeah. okay to break yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah. You, if you're gonna break edge, break edge with, with with Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy's an okay gateway for you. And, and Todd Youth was a big part of it too. And sure, we went out in New Orleans. They got me drunk. Took me to my first strip club. Perfect. Yeah. You're, you're you're doing that all in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just like, you're gonna go. Let's just go all the way. And then 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 you know, I I, I went down that rabbit hole for many years. And then not the positive party line, no. but I had a fucking blast. Really? Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. So you, yeah. it never got, I mean, it, you never, you felt it never got dark. You were oh, always it got, it got to... real dark. Okay. Real dark. All right. Just at the be... end. A okay. couple, they were like, they were like. There's uh, peaks and valleys. Yeah. The valleys, there were, there were moments of, wow, it got real shitty, real shitty. Right. I've quite a few times, but at the end it got so shitty. I'm actually looking at five years, no drinking and three days from, two days from now. Oh, two days congratulations from now, five on five years, Yeah. But a lot of the time, especially the beginning, uh-huh. like the first like three or four years, man, it literally like was celebratory every night like sure yes life is fucking awesome i love right. it you know i'm in a van i'm touring i don't have this kind of giant weight of a spiritual movement that i'm kind of <laughs> moving right. with you know what i mean i'm right. like oh, it's on i'm right i'm throwing down and it was yeah and h2o guys were you know like i say they, they were like brothers from day one it's like everyone supports everyone else everyone lets everyone be whoever they want to be well yeah was a, i mean it's definitely yeah like especially like you said, coming from the context yeah. you were coming from yeah. of just being like, yeah. well, I am this person and this is, this is what yeah. I'm doing. It's, it, it's weird too, because I, I knew about Toby before I joined H2O. Okay. And I was like, I was expecting like, like a gangster dude. Of you know course, what I mean? Right. I mean, who he was friends with and stuff I'd heard and all this stuff. And then like, I meet him and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're not this. No, this is like the, 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 the best dude ever. You know what I mean? And it was mm-hmm. like, so it's weird how, as you get closer to things, the perspective could shift a lot. You know, like oh, meeting people like, you know, Freddie and Hoyer. Oh, I was sure. always like, man. And I, I saw I saw Madball's first show in London. I was like, This is the real deal. I was like, this is the real shit right here. You know what I mean? I was like, meeting Roger, I was expecting these people to be like five seconds away from like taking a box cutter to my throat if I even looked at them funny. Mm-hmm. You know? And they're just like gentlemen. Totally. Warm, funny. Right interesting and interested uh-huh. and it was like man this is right this awesome is, right right this is yeah. not this is not yeah. the portrait of the hardened yeah. criminal yeah. that gets painted 
you know, out yeah. of narrative in the yeah. game of telephone. Yeah, it's not like the the back, backstage, you know, hanging out behind CBGBs is like G-wing at Rikers. It's right. not, or whatever it is. It's just like it's just like nice people, jokes, laughter. Right. You know, so pretty, <laughs> pretty cool to to, to get, yeah to be airdropped into that yeah. and and like you said, yeah. come closer. To and that. it was also a good time for that too because everyone still lived in New York, so it was you would go out and everyone would be out. Right. I mean, and now it's like we go to New York. It's like, this guy lives here. This guy lives there. No one's really in New York anymore. <laughs> right. City. Right. Um, and so then, so then, as you were uh, obviously as H, I mean, I'm not going to document H2O's career yeah. in regards to the records and everything. When would you say that H2O kind of uh, shifted? Because I mean, even though you guys are very active still and uh-huh. play all the shows that you can, um, there was a strategic point where you guys were like, "All right, we're not a 300 days touring band." Right. You know, a couple of things happened. Right. Um, obviously, Toby becoming a father. He's he still wants to well still tour like a tour now for sure um, yeah. tour them but I, but I definitely think that was priorities are going to shift you Absolutely. know what I mean because and it wasn't just Toby becoming a father it was also that Moon could no longer come on tour with us right that was a big thing for Toby like he didn't want to be away from Moon that much so he kind of the the restructuring yeah, started yeah to happen, yeah right? and then um, I do have to say that like Go was kind of like a letting out of air from from the balloon so to speak like a little bit of a deep. You know, because you kind of got this upward trajectory. You know what I mean? First record, people love it. Thicker than water. We moved to Epitaph Records. People like it. FTTW comes out. People are stoked. Things are good. And it's like, oh, man, you know, like... Things are clicking. Yeah, yeah. Things, things are moving. That's, 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 you know, and then we get asked to sign to a major label. And it was never really, like, an idea of, like, we're going to sign to a major label. And we're going to become fucking massive. Right, right. Um, I think we were all seasoned enough to know that that wasn't the case. But it was also like, well, everyone else is doing it. You know what I mean? Like... Why not us take Everyone else, why don't we do it? Like, we've never done it. Let's get on a major label and see what it's like. Let's ride this train, mm-hmm. you know? Because um, we've been on Epitaph for two records, so that's what, like, five, six years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you kind of knew what was going to happen. Absolutely. So we signed to the major, and, and we do the Go record, and a whole bunch of weird, like, stuff going on, you know? Some people wanted to make a hardcore record. You know, some people wanted to basically make minor threat records. Some sure. people wanted to make, like... More like a little bit more like esoteric. I don't want to say Audi. Audi is such a terrible word, but yeah, it's a, but I, yeah. I understand you wanted to yeah. maybe stretch yourselves yeah. further. Yeah, and some people were talking like, "Hey, what's on the radio? What's on the radio?" You sure. Know? I remember a discussion about seven string guitars, and I was like, this is "Fucking <laughs> just weird!" Like, <laughs> wow, yeah, like because yeah, yeah. Papa Roach and Corn, maybe H two O should use seven string guitars. I was right. like, "This is fucked up." Right. No, no fucking way. It took me enough time to figure out four strings. Do not fucking give me another string to worry about. Totally. Don't do it. Um, right. And and I feel like, you know, you, you got this kind of thing, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's like, eh. Oh, that's it. yeah. That's yeah. it. Eh. And with major labels, I didn't fuck around. They're like, oh, you didn't sell 100,000 copies first week? Next. Yeah. You know, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. But we're still a yeah. band. Yeah. And then we kind of had some stuff with them. And, and then it just kind of slowed. Like, what are we, you know, once again, what's the point? You, you then know? you started to ask, right. Then you started yeah. to ask the questions. Yeah, like, eh, is the point? I mean, we're still having fun, but it's like... Shows were bigger than ever for Go, which is... Right. But it just never really kind of... Right, materialized. Yeah, it just didn't feel right, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, did you, at that point, because um, I actually asked Toby the same question, where it was like, obviously once um, the notion of slowing down a band starts to kind of enter your, mm-hmm. your frame of mind, was it difficult for you to kind of, uh, I guess, transition into some sort of quote-unquote real life? Like, um, or did you find yourself being like, well, I can I, just figure out the next thing? I mean, yeah, it was tricky. It was sure. tricky for sure. Because um, there is, I mean, in my experience, the greatest lifestyle you can have is a lifestyle where you go into a play a ton of music, come home, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, 
you know, and sure. espe- especially once again, it was a time like in New York City where you would go out on any night of the week and there'd be all these guys that you knew and you go to this place, there'd be all these guys, you know, you know, it felt like it was your city, you know what I mean? Like, totally. It's, it's, it was, it was beautiful. Uh-huh. But, uh, for me, it was, it was all right. I mean, because uh-huh. I was always just me, you know, it didn't really matter. You put me in a band and van, put me behind a bar, I'm like, same dude. Right, you know? right. Because I know it's like the, the reason I ask that, because I know so many people, um, and I'll speak from my own personal experience too, where it's like you attach your identity with your band. You know, you are, yeah. you're, you're Adam H2O. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then when you are not, when you can't really, you can still reference yourself that, you yeah. know, if your band yeah. doesn't exist. But yeah. then like just that notion of like, oh, the people that I was friends with that might not treat me the same, like, you know, yeah. like, did you experience any of that? Or people, no, I mean, good. I mean, I, for me, I was almost, at that point, like I say, we were all kind of a little, not as into it anymore. So right. I think we all mentally had kind of moved on from being like satellites of the H2O band. You know what I mean? right, we all, we all right. like, well, I'm me and I'm me. And Toby went and worked a regular job. Right. Rusty, Foso's jewelry. I, I got into the night, you know, bar business in New York and ended up managing a bar out there. And Got it. Yeah, so you you felt like that where you're like, yeah. well, I can I can yeah. take the next yeah. step and not feel like I'm yeah. crippled. And by then it. we just we just still kept playing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was fun, but it was really when when it came time to like make a new record, you know, make nothing to prove that things got like Keep got exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pumped. Totally. Well, and that I mean that that I feel like it's it's so important for bands like you guys to do what you do because not only are you adults with an interesting perspective playing to essentially kids that are 20 years younger than you. And it, it's, it, it just gives hope that it's like, cause I, I think a lot of people, especially it's like when you start to enter hardcore or punk or whatever, you feel like there's an all or nothing approach where it's just like, I need to be in a band touring 365 days of the year or nothing. And then it's like bands can show now where it's just like, well, we don't, you don't have to do that, but you can still be in people's faces. Like, For sure. like there's that, that, that balance. You have For to sure. strike. Sure. I mean, the scariest thing for a musician is to, is I think for me anyway, is to have a tour coming up that I'm not excited about. And you're like, man, I gotta go to the office. Right. Oof, that's <laughs> shitty. That, and I, and that, that's kind of where we were at the end, you know, like, right. oh, we've got to do this shit again. Right. That's shitty. Because then you're cheating the audience and you're taking this thing that, you're me- that is meant to be precious and pure Absolutely. and beautiful. Kinda sh- you're kind of just shitting on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, eh? Like, it shouldn't be this. You should be like, fuck, yeah, we get to go on tour. This is awesome, you know? Right, right. And we kind of had to wait for that to come back. Yeah. It took a little while. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's yeah. a very good point, though. That's a very, that's yeah. a very good way to look at that, because they're definitely, it's real easy to do. When you do something in repetition, it's yeah. real easy to fall in that mindset yeah. of like, oh, I got to do this thing yeah. now. And it's just like where most people would kill to do something like, like that. Like, I read an interview with Tom Araya from Slayer recently. Sure. And he, he was saying it was kind of sad. He's just like, yeah, just doing it. Right. Doing it. Totally. Gonna keep you know, keep on the road, keep making that money. He was like, I know. "Damn, son!" And you're in Slayer. I know. You're fucking massive. It's hard, and, and have been massive since the '80s. Totally. Yeah. It, it's sad yeah. in a yeah. way yeah. because there's there's definitely that notion where yeah. it's like uh, when a person hits. I mean, especially once you hit a certain age, yeah. where it's just like, "What's Tom or I going to do? Yeah. You, is he going to go like work yeah. at Starbucks? Like, no. no. Like he's he, yeah. there's no other path in yeah. his life now. But yeah. like, yeah. So it's it's that yeah. weird. Like yeah. you feel almost trapped by your band. Yeah. And in in a way, yeah. And it, and and I would happily take an enthusiastic mindset over a five-star hotel room and a private jet. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you live in your head, man. You don't live in a hotel room. You don't live in a bus. This inside your own mind. So if your mind is into it, tour will be awesome. If your mind is not into it, none of the external shit matters. Right. You're going to be fucking bummed. Dude, well, I, I mean, I think that perspective is solely 
attached to not only obviously like the seeking like you're talking yeah. about but then i mean honestly the Hare Krishna lifestyle as well where it's just like the the attachment to physical objects yeah. and but yeah it's not that's not meaningful it's fleeting no that's definitely it's definitely uh something that i think modern society de-emphasizes you gotta have the good shit you gotta have this you gotta have that you gotta be surrounded by all this stuff but who's surrounded right Who's the person that's surrounded? Right. That's more important totally. than the shit that's around them. Totally. And it's not even so much from like a, a, a cliche, because I, I feel, I mean, obviously the term PMA is thrown around. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's meaningless now because. Yeah, it's become it's become a, a term that so many people use. It's lost its original. It totally. It's, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's meaningless, but it's like not even so much. It's like mind frame in which you approach things. That is, like you said, ultimately the most important way you're approaching. Life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, ab- that's absolutely my outlook on life. And I think, I think not, not to try and beat anyone else, but I think it's a yeah. great kind of perspective to come from because if you are not happy yourself, nothing else, there's no external force that will bring happiness. Why would mm-hmm. money? Right. Money will not, I mean, cheesy, money will not buy you. If you're happy, money will buy you cool shit that'll make you feel fucking awesome. Right. But if you're miserable, mm-hmm. money will not get you out of that hole. In yeah. fact, money will only dig you deeper because you'll keep buying stuff and it will make you even more miserable when that thing you thought would make you happier right. doesn't, and then you feel even more despair. Totally, and then you're weighed down. Yeah, like that Ferrari. Fuck, I still feel shitty. Now I'm even shittier because I got fucking Ferrari. I'm not even happy, you know? Totally. What so, can I do? Yeah. <clears throat> the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that you... Um, personal training like that's been something that's been a part of your life for a while yeah so in that and that how did you uh how did you get into that because i do i think there's a really interesting correlation with a lot of people that do uh you know whatever all, all the philosophies that mm-hmm. are attached to punk and mm-hmm. hardcore straight edge vegetarianism veganism, right. whatever it's like the self-improvement right and i do i notice a lot of people follow that path right so like how did you get introduced well okay so i'll, I'll take a quick aside that's fine because when i was Really drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got to do something on tour or I'm managing a bar. You're so, surrounded by alcohol. So literally, I'm on tour. I get off tour. I go back. There's, oh, hey, let's get hammered. Right. You know, when you're the guy in everyone's drinking story. Hey, I was out with Adam. We got smashed. I was out with Adam. We got smashed. Me and Adam went out. We got drunk. This happened. I'm like, I'm in everyone's story. I'm the guy. In, I'm the only guy that's in everyone's drunk story. Right. I'm the guy in everyone's story. So I'm like, all right, I got to stop. So I went to acting school in New York. I did a summer intensive and I ended up, they ended up asking me to do the two year full-time program. Oh, wow. So that was what I was doing for two years in New York. The last two years I was there. And I was like, and I, I was actually a pretty prestigious Academy. It was grueling as fuck. Like, I was going to say, yeah, it's that, fucking hard. Right. It's hard as shit. Like they don't fuck around. They're like, you suck. Totally. You suck today. Right. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was your job. Yeah. That was shitty. That was just shitty work today, Adam. And it's like, and, but when you get a compliment, it means the fuck. Well, of know? course. Um, were you doing? Were you doing plays, musicals? What? What sort was, of discipline? I don't see me. I, I, I that's the other guy. I, I don't I, uh, want to assume these I, uh, things. Uh, it was. It was. It was plays. It was. It was a legit place. It was called Esper Studios. Like, uh, okay. Kathy Bates came out of there. Okay. Um, Jeff Goldblum came out of there. Sam Rockwell came out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Eckert, like a bunch of like legit dudes. Like of it's course. a real. It's considered like one of the. And I got into it because the guy that owned the. The admissions guy was going to be like, fuck this guy. We ain't going to use him. And he's like, he's in a bank with H2O. He goes, Todd Morse. I was like, yeah, he goes, Todd Morse is my first friend in New York. I was like, no shit. He goes, you're in. I'm like, fuck yeah. Because it was like, there was an audition process Absolutely. that I epically, it was one of the, another one of those like weird situations. And I remember having a discussion at the end with, when I, I dropped out a semester before graduation, because mm-hmm. I don't fucking want to do this. Sure. I'd ask that question again. Like, what's the, what's the path? And I like, well, 
running around to seven auditions a day while fucking busting tables. Because there's some acting is hard and there's some talented fucking people. There's right. some, like, to be a good actor, even like the, the people, anyone you see on TV is a fucking savage. Oh, absolutely. You can't suck. Yeah, you don't to have trip a, into To it. have a career in it. You might, you might stumble into something for a minute, but to have a career in acting, you've got to be fucking Right, really good. You've got to be good. <laughs> you, can't, you can't stink. And I was right. like, eh, I don't, I don't want to, you know. Right. Want to swim in that shark tank. Sure. So I remember having a discussion with, with the, the, head, the head of the, the director of the studio, William Espers, like, wanted to talk to me. I was in his class, right? I got put in his class. He's like, why are you dropping out? Eh, I'm just not into it. What do you want to do with your life? Yeah, yeah, so I moved to California. That was my thing, to get away from alcohol. But it was like, I just stopped drinking. I stay in New York. I got to disconnect. I got I to gotta get out of here. I got to move to California. He goes, no, what are you going to do with your life? Move to California, I don't know, just hang out. What are you going to do with your life? Kept beating me. Fucking wouldn't let up. I felt like a fighter in the corner, and this guy's fucking wailing on me. What are you going to do with your life? And he just beat me down. I was like, I just fucking want to make music that makes people dance and smile. And he goes, that's it. That's what you're going to do. Right. And I was like... Oh, shit. And then I went to California. And at the time, I was renting out apartments in New York. So back to the person, how I got to the personal training thing. I was renting out apartments in New York. Above the bar I managed, there was a bunch of apartments. And if you know the bar business or you live above a bar, you know that those apartments are, like, not easy to, to get occupied. So we were renting them out to tourists. Come to New York for a week. Here's an apartment in a cool neighborhood above a bar, which for a week is cool. Yeah. You're like, I can deal with yeah, that noise. Yeah. Sure. Um, and we were making, you know, I was getting a piece of that business and we sure. kind of did that. That business started to get shitty because New York City's like, huh? All these people are doing that. Let's shut that down because right. New York City likes to stop people, of course, making money, making right. money that they don't get a big chunk of. And I was like, well, I've always worked out, and actually, I was training people in New York. I was I studied martial arts for most of my life, so I was doing. I ended up getting a bunch of people that I would train individually. Oh right, the, the schools I would train at, the academies I would train at, in in Muay Thai, and then or, or or Filipino martial arts, and then I was like, well, people would just want to lose weight, so I would start doing weight loss stuff and it felt good you know you're helping people improve, improve themselves yeah and then when i moved to california and the business i was like i gotta really do something and this is something that i feel like i love and i feel like i feel like it will help me and it will help me help other people so it's totally yeah tick the two boxes and then i went in and studied got my first cert, second cert, you know, just got certed out the ass until sure. it, it starts looping around on itself. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't need to study anymore. Um, and then doors just opened like they do when, right. you, when you preparation, you know, an opportunity meet and I started working. And now it's like, now I got good amount of shit going on, you know? And, sure. I, and it's something that I am very passionate about in regard to how I train other people and how I train myself. Sure. I, I gives me a lot of insight into what we are as humans and the direction we're going, how damaging it is, and how modern life is really fucking us up. Sure. And how we really, you know, really need, you need to make a concerted effort to fight that trend. Absolutely. As an individual and as a trainer, I have to help people fight that trend as well. Um. And I find it somehow correlates to the... It marries well with the music in my mind, like they're neck and neck. You know? Yeah, no, I see exactly what you're I mean, I, I really appreciate you kind of putting that framing on it because I do think that there is something that you, you do hit a wall where it's like certain people, no matter what they're involved in, hit a wall where it's just like, like oh, like, why am I tired all the time? Like, yeah. why am I, like, like you said, modern life wears people down. And if they don't do something to engage themselves, like on that sort of physical yeah. gut level... Mm -hmm. 
it, it, you just waste away into nothing. We're weaklings. We're becoming weaklings. And sure. I mean that, not, I mean, I call it fit shaming. It's fat shaming. I call it fit shaming. I'm not trying to fit shame the world, but right. it's like, it's like most of you are weak as fuck. Right. And, and, and that's not, it's not about flexing your biceps on, on the beach and impressing chicks. Though there's no, hey, no yeah. harm in that. Fuck it. Go for if it. You're single fucking right. Go bang, bang on them curls, buddy. Totally. But uh, it's about like, there was a, there's a, a famous French trainer called, um, it's either Georges Herbert or George Herbert, however they fucking pronounce it in French. Sure, yeah, yeah. And he had a quote that said, be strong to be useful, be fit to be useful. So you almost have a duty to your fellow man to maintain a certain level of physical conditioning. Like, if there was an earthquake right. and this house started to collapse and a piece of rock hit you on the head, I had better fucking be strong enough to pick you up and take you outside this building or I am of little use. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, the, if I'm in a house that's on fire, I had best be strong enough to pick up a child and climb down the building. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And on, on, on just like a, like a smaller community level, if my neighbor needs help carrying a new you know, couch into the house, I'd certainly hope that I would be maintain a con- level of physical condition where I'm strong enough to help right. someone else. Totally. And it seems like society really de-emphasizes that, especially because we're in such a cerebral state at this point where it's all about like... Uh, I mean, th- thank God for CrossFit, good and bad. You know, they, they got access, people talking about exercise on a much sure. bigger scale. But we're in like this mindset where it's almost like, eh, I got my iPhone. I'm going to sit on the phone. I'm going to sit on, on my iPad and watch a movie. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to sit in my car and drive to my desk. Or I'm going to sit at my desk and I'm going to get in my car. And maybe I'm going to work out a nap. Maybe if I'm an animal, I'm going to work out an hour a day, five days a week. Right. Newsflash ain't anywhere near enough. And it's not about moving around. It's about 15 minutes here in the morning. Just fucking stretch. Go for a run. Do something with your body. Your yeah. body's a physical machine. Take, right. it for a t- take it for a drive. <laughs> totally. You know, four or five times a day, do stuff. You don't have to go in the gym and get average, but it's like right. we need to fight what's happening to us. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, I also like how you're, like you said, there's a connection between the music and a DIY mentality. Like that's yeah. completely intertwined with, Absolutely. like you said, you are literally fighting against the impulses that society is is putting in front of you yeah and that's the same exact notion as why we all get into like punk and hardcore for sure we're pushing against society being like that all that stuff not not that interested in that i mean you you hit it on the head when you said that punk and hardcore has a big self-development self-improvement kind of thread running through it that's Mm -hmm. very true and that's one of the things that attracted me me to it the most that's kind of why I, i got out of metal fell in love with hardcore was because you could kind of feel that and sure. when it's done right when hardcore is done right and the music has that right energy you know what i mean yeah and and you know like i don't like heavy metal influenced hardcore i mean i love metal sure and i i wrote a lot of the new h2o record and trust me there's a little metal there's some metal, there's some metal <laughs> shit on it. but not like not like slayer metal you sure. know what i mean like the stuff i grew up on sure um and with that positive message mm-hmm. where it's almost like I would imagine like a devout, you know, Christian feels when they, when they get to go to church, like you get, it's inspirational music. Sure. It really is inspirational music and it lifts you up and it inspires you. It makes you want to be better and it exposes you to a lot of ideas, you know, like vegetarianism, veganism, sobriety, um, community change starting on an individual level. Like these are incredible. These are, these are things that, that some of them are mainstream now. Mm Mm-hmm. But punk and hardcore was there for 
Oh, 100%. Was there first. Well, it's like, I, I, I always look at where it's just like a lot of people, especially in like the sort of like tech community, yeah. like Silicon Valley, like a lot of them, you know, entrepreneur, like, you know, uh, built it themselves, DIY, like that yeah. word gets thrown around because yeah. obviously it's yeah. been co-opted. Yeah. I mean, it's a television network, DIY network, but the the connotation of people in, in Silicon Valley and in the tech world using that same correlation, I'm like, well, yeah, you are building something yourself. But you're building something so you can sell it for a kajillion dollars. Right. Whereas, like, the the notion, especially in punk and hardcore, you're building something. Maybe someone's going to show yeah. up. You don't care. You're yeah. just doing yeah. it yourself. Yeah. For sure. But e- even that, I mean, even that shows the, the, the like, they got the whole biohacking thing now. Like, I'm sure. curious. I, I, I've, I follow that stuff. That stuff's interesting to me. Yeah. But it, it shows that there's a deep kind of people looking at themselves and seeing inadequacies and holes in them. You know what sure, I mean? And sure. that's kind of what I was saying. Like, if you're not... If you're not content and happy with you, all the other shit doesn't matter. Totally. And so I, I see that that's kind of slowly spreading from different... You could see that in a lot of different places where people right. are like, man, like, I want to be better. Totally. I just want to be better. Right. I want to be a better person. I want to be... I, I, yeah, I want to be the out. best me. And, sure. and that's definitely comes from... That's definitely something that was been hardcore and punk for... Oh, absolutely. No. You know? And it's, yeah, it's just... I always, I always reflect on... Uh, my experience and I know your experience too where it's just like I just feel so lucky that I tripped across that yeah I, I mean I do fuck I can't imagine. I mean I, I, I do like this weird like I do like a door number one door number two thing all the time like I'm always like what if it didn't happen you did, I it, do, early, you did it earlier in the interview yeah, I, what if, it literally happens like that one the, the what if I didn't stop drinking I do that every day yeah where would I be right now if I didn't stop drinking well, right. where would that train of be right now and, right. I, and i see it and it's fucking grim right and uh <laughs> you're like and I, i'm so glad grim. I didn't and then and then honestly when i really think about what i would have done if i hadn't discovered punk and hardcore it's that train that same train is just a hell of a lot further down the track yeah. you know what i mean sure I'm probably off the rails right, right. <laughs> yeah probably been derailed as a young <laughs> yeah um but it's crazy man like it it, it it impacts people's lives in such a such a dramatic way and it's weird how 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 as it grows, you mm-hmm. find people in all kinds of walks of life that, you know, were in it and out of it, and they never it never left them. Like oh, Moby, like totally. Well, Moby's a friend of mine. Moby fucking loves hardcore. Absolutely, you know what I mean. You're like it's never left him. Yeah, it's like. But your average person would yeah. look at him. You're like, oh, I don't yeah. have it. But it's like, oh yeah, yeah. like you. And the minute like two people that are from it meet, oh dude, you, you a, can chat. It's a short. You got something. It's fu- yeah. f- like less yeah. than a minute. You'll be like, yeah. oh, we're on the same yeah. level. Yeah. We're on yeah. the same page. I remember we did a tour with uh, One Day as a Lion, which was Zach Delaroche's band. We were like, it was a festival tour, you know? Yep. And Toby and Zach just started chopping it up. Like, oh, sing about all. Quilla biscuits. Totally. You did today, you know? And it's just like, that's yeah. it. Like, there's your common ground. And that common ground will lead you to so many other places. Totally. Because those bands are all about more than just music. Mm-hmm. So when you speak about those bands, you automatically can assume that you have similar... Right. You've been, you might not have the same lifestyle, but you've been exposed to the same ideas. So you're the kindred yeah. spirits in one way or another. No, totally. I, I, I couldn't say that any better. Yeah. Adam, this has been awesome. Thank you. I really, really enjoy this. Thanks, we, man. We chopped it up in, in ways I wasn't expecting to go down. Thanks. So. <laughs> I hope you liked it. Uh, fine. It's my first time doing one of these, actually. Oh, re- yeah. oh I am. I, you popped my podcast cherry. So that was Adam. I honestly didn't even know that he played in Shelter during the time when I was obsessed with the band. Like, Shelter's mantra was such a huge record for me. So I kind of had to do a recalibration in the middle of the interview to be like, oh gosh, I'm talking to a person who played bass on 
one of my probably top 20 records of all time. Holy moly. So anyways, that was funny. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Adam. And thank you to my good friend Stephanie, who is his publicist and his band's publicist for hooking this up. I appreciate that. I doubt she's actually listening to this part, but still, hopefully she feels the, uh, the love that is being emanated to her. So anyways, the producer, as always, standing by my side, digitally, forevermore, Tom Richfield, our producer and editor. He does such a great job, and I can't uh, thank him enough for all of the things that he does for the show. Visit the show, 100wordspodcast.com. We have a website, obviously, and you will be able to get more information and see uh, see cool stuff. And uh, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Phew. All right, I promise I will be a little less manic on the uh, the next show. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to reveal some more information on, uh, you know, exciting moves in my life. Until next week, be safe, everybody. Everybody.